our way through the Psalms and we did Psalm 98 and it was all about singing a new song to the Lord and we discussed in Sunday school how God doesn't need to hear our praise but we need when we praise him we are blessed God blesses and feeds us as we praise him so thank you worship team we appreciate you Heavenly Father, we are blessed because we came and that we have an opportunity to gather with um, people of kindred spirits and like-mindedness that love you, Lord, and that we lift up your name in praise and worship and we invite your Holy Spirit in to teach and guide and direct us. And Lord, in a, in a world that has become rather dark, we know that you are the light of the world and that you call us to covenant with you and to put on your robe of righteousness and to give you our filthy rags that we might represent you in this world and so we praise and thank you for that opportunity and we ask you to um, empower us to be faithful witnesses wherever we go and we thank you for this service in jesus name amen good morning everybody do you remember the excitement that you had when you were moving into your very first home or your dream home or anything like that? Do you remember that? And you know, I've had the experience of it as being a real estate agent for somebody getting their very first home and the excitement that they have. But uh, citizens of heaven, because I live, you will also live. John 14, 9. People spend billions of dollars every year on cosmetics, health spas, physical fitness machines, and concoctions claiming to make them live longer or slowing down the aging process. But age will overtake even the most beautiful or the physically fit people in the world, and eventually they will die as we will. But someday, we who know Christ will have perfect bodies. Some days, or someday our bodies will be raised in glory. We will be like Christ in his resurrection body. Oh, we're gonna have a Pentecostal meeting this morning. Can I imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what that would be like? Not fully, but we do know that this, the resurrection body of Christ is the pattern of design for our new bodies. Amen. 
for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies um, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. What a future we have in Christ. The hope for today, won't it be wonderful to have a body that will not grow old or experience pain? In heaven, the beauty of this world will pale in comparison to the glory of heaven. Shout to the Lord. promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. If you'd like to stand and join us. <laughs> your name forever and ever. Ship him 
righteousness, we will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe, all praise to Him we
I'd like to read from Hebrews this morning, 11.6. What is faith? You can never please God without faith, without depending on him. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely look for him. Now join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day with grateful hearts. We thank you for your love and mercy that never fail us. As we gather today, we ask that you bless those persons who are on our prayer page and for unspoken requests. We lift up those people with their individual situations to you. Specifically, we pray for your wisdom and forgiveness of our sins and for our church, Desert Gardens. May your will, Father God, be done in all of these things. We ask for guidance, for strength, and for healing. We give you thanks and praise, Father God, for what you are doing in all of these matters. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray, amen. Good morning. And read from Joshua this morning. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead, and now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving you, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. I will be with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sounds like a song in there somewhere. We're going to use the Psalm 23 as a prayer, congregational prayer this morning. If you would stand with me. Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us to lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside the still waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in the paths of righteousness 
for your name's sake. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cups run over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in your house, O Lord, forever. Amen. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who is alone, is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. scripture comes from Matthew 22 verses 34 through 46 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of all the prophets are based on these two commandments. Then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, called the Messiah, my Lord. For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah, my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him, and after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> he said, gotcha. <laughs> you join me now in the responsive reading. Holy, holy, holy God, fill us with strength and courage, with discernment and compassion, that we may be your instruments of justice and love in this world, that it may be on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you bless each one of us in different ways. You give us each different capabilities, different gifts. And Lord, and you show us how to use them. Sometimes being a little thick, we don't catch on right away. But you, you don't give up on us. You show us. You lead us. You bless us, Lord. And you've blessed us so. So, Lord, as we give back, as you have called upon us to do, we ask that you bless these gifts and that they may be used to further your kingdom in the way that you have taught, that your son has taught us. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. soldier with no armor in the middle of the battle I was broken I was broken it was only getting darker in the valley of the shadow I was hopeless 
title of my sermon this morning is When Christ Comes. Text will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I found a glaring contradiction in uh, the sermon I preached two weeks ago regarding Ezekiel 38. We'll call it a senior moment. I corrected that in last week's sermon, the Valley of Hamonah Gog. But just to be clear and to eliminate any confusion, let me recap last week's sermon. Ezekiel 38, also known as the War of Gog and Magog, has nothing to do with Armageddon. Uh, I'm sure if you're watching YouTube or 
the media, you've heard preachers, many preachers talking about Ezekiel 38. But know this, Ezekiel 38 is not Armageddon. There are striking differences between Ezekiel 38 and Armageddon, though they both deal with the slaughter of Israel's enemies. How many of you figured out uh, my map last week, the color coding? It was a mystery, I'm sure. Slide one, please. <clears throat> the war of Gog will be regional. It will be a confederacy of Russia, Iran, and all their proxies. And they will all come from the north. Those red dots represent all the proxies. Slide two, please. As I stated last week, the War of Gog will happen at the very least seven years prior to Armageddon. Armageddon will be the end of the tribulation and a grand entrance for the Antichrist. The War of Gog, Ezekiel 38. <clears throat> um, I honestly don't believe that the uh, distress we see in Israel right now, uh, even though it appears to be expanding, I don't see how that can be Ezekiel 38. Because as you recall in Ezekiel 38, it says no one, will come to the aid of Israel. We see many in the West coming to the aid of Israel at this point. But Ezekiel 38, when, as I said last week, and I would estimate in the neighborhood of 400,000 men will be slain on the hills of Israel. And this will provide a grand entrance for Antichrist. And a synopsis of end times, if I can get out of the way so you can see this. Uh, the covenant of protection comes about via Antichrist. And I believe that uh, after the battle of Gog, Israel will be, well, they will, they will suffer. And they will be very tired of fighting. And Antichrist will provide them a covenant of peace. Now you need to understand in Ezekiel 38 that um, Iran, Russia, and their proxies, five-sixths, five-sixths of this confederacy will be slaughtered on the hills of Israel. So Iran and Russia will cease to be a major power. And who fills that vacuum? Antichrist. And what confederacy will he head up? I believe it will be the resurrected Roman Empire. What we now know as uh, either the European Union well, we'll just leave it at that.
But in contrast, the Battle of Armageddon will be the culmination, as I said, of the seven-year-long Great Tribulation. Now, that's referred to by different people in different ways. Some people call the last half when uh, the abomination of desolation, when Antichrist puts his AI humanoid in the Holy of Holies in the temple, that will basically mark the halfway point of the tribulation. So the first three and a half years will be a pseudo-peace brought about by Antichrist. It will be a plastic peace. But many people refer to the Great Tribulation as the last three and a half years because that's where Revelation describes all of the carnage. However, some people call the entire seven and a half or seven years as uh, the Great Tribulation. But hallelujah, the Great Tribulation, the Armageddon, culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That will be glorious because it will also be the advent of Christ's millennial kingdom. Matthew 24, 22. Unless that time of calamity or tribulation is shortened, not a single person will survive but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Revelation 16, 16. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. All the armies of the earth will gather against Israel at Armageddon. It will take back to the War of Gog and War uh, Magog, where Christ says uh, He will destroy five sixths of the armies that come against Israel. It will take them seven months to bury the dead. Even with all of today's modern earth moving equipment, all these massive Tyrex trucks and earth movers, seven months to bury the dead. And Israel will gather up enough nuclear weapons from the battlefield to power Israel's nuclear reactors for the entire tribulation, seven years. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is far more important than Ezekiel 38 or even Armageddon. There's a mindset we need to accomplish concerning what's presently going on in the world. And it has nothing to do with fear or anxiety. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your comfort. These days remind me of being a teenager in, in the middle of the Vietnam War. And every evening we sit down and tune in carnage. Saber rattling, wars and rumors of wars. It's a difficult time that you have promised to see us through this time 
You are our Savior. You are the Sovereign Lord. We trust in thee. Now speak your peace and your comfort to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Most people refer to the father of the early church, Augustine, as St. Augustine. It's properly Augustine, so at least you know who I'm talking about. Augustine was an early church father, and he taught that heaven is here, right here on this earth. The advent of Jesus Christ brought heaven to earth. This is what he taught. The kingdom of heaven is right here, right now, on this earth. Thus, during the Middle Ages, the church began building magnificent and towering cathedrals. Why? Because early Christendom believed this teaching. God is here. Heaven is here. We must make dwellings that are appropriate for the God of heaven. So they made glorious cathedrals for God to inhabit all the while ignoring St. Paul's clarion call, which said, God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. He dwells in the hearts of men. But John Calvin continued this doctrine, as did Jonathan Edwards, the great evangelist of the first awakening. But heaven on earth is a hard sell today because we have hell on earth. In 1995, Carl Sagan, the renowned astronomer, wrote a book entitled The Demon Haunted World. That title fascinated me, so I bought the book. And it really had nothing to do with demons. But anyway, in his book, he postulated that ignorance is the demon that haunts this world. He said the dumbing down of America is most evident in the slow decay of substantive content in the enormously influential media. He said this 30 years ago. Kind of prophetic, don't you think? With their 30-second sound bites of credulous presentations on pseudoscience and superstition, but more especially their celebration of ignorance. Sagan's God was science. And what he was really saying is those who do not know science, those who do not worship science, they're not learned, and nor do they wish to be learned. And many of today's Christians seem to embody this same attitude. They say, I know everything about the Bible I need to know. Christ died for sinners. If I profess faith in the Lord Jesus, I'm saved and sanctified. What more do I need to know? In Hebrews chapter 5, St. Paul is explaining the priesthood of Jesus Christ and how through the sufferings that Christ suffered, Father God thereby qualified him to be our high priest. But squarely in the middle of this teaching, Paul abruptly stops and chastises his listeners. Slide three, please. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 12. There is much more we would like to say about this, 
but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long that now you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are spiritually dull. The Greek word used here is nothros, and it means stupid, indolent, lazy, or just plain dull. God help us be vigilant about our faith, vigilant in the study of his word, vigilant in following Jesus. We know the truth. We can ascertain all the answers if we study. But the counterculture says the real God is science. Einstein said all our science measured against reality is primitive and childlike, and yet it's the most precious thing we have. It's said that the most intelligent men down through the ages have always had a very large problem with the simplicity of biblical faith. But as Christians, the most precious thing we have is not science, but rather the faith to believe that eventually all science will prove not only the existence of God, but his sovereignty over the cosmos which he created. As Christians, we know that a person with an experience, a life changing experience, a life-shaping experience is never at the mercy of a person with a theory. Our reality is the brilliance of God's one and only Son, the light of the world. But there is a science in God's Word, and it's called theology. Theology is the study of what God has said. And that science has been polluted down through the ages, even from the beginnings of the church. Augustine taught that in the person of Jesus Christ, heaven has come down. But the truth is, the Son of God who came from heaven definitely came down to this earth, but heaven did not come with him. God's holy word tells us that heaven will not come to this earth until the Lord Jesus returns at his second coming. At that time, all the saints of heaven, all the angels, and God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will come to this earth. Can I hear an amen? If heaven came to this earth at the advent of Jesus Christ, what did he teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said nothing about heaven on earth until he returns. But he did say, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And St. Paul told us again and again in his letter to the Ephesians that the Lord Jesus has seated us in heavenly places. In other words, places that are heavenly because we are in Christ Jesus 
us, and he is in us. We live and move and have our being in him, and therefore we live in a protected bubble. Hallelujah. But that bubble is not a talisman that wards off cancer and all other maladies, but it does ward off evil. And yes, I know there are Christians all over this worth, uh, all over this earth who are being slaughtered on a daily basis. Today, there's Christian genocide in almost every continent, but this evil cannot touch our spirit. We are surrounded and protected by God's love. Slide four, please. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation. Remember, Satan is a created being. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no mention of heaven coming down to earth anywhere in Scripture which is not reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the advent of his millennial kingdom. The apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, did not teach heaven on earth other than at Christ's return. The central truth of Christ's gospel is scorned by half the church and misunderstood by the other half. Think on that. And what is the central truth? The central truth of Scripture is twofold. The first part being that God became flesh and sacrificed that flesh for the redemption of all who will believe on him. The second part is the rapture of the church. Augustine was a brilliant theologian. He got a lot of things very right, but he got some things very wrong. But those things he got wrong was it because he caved to the politics of his day. Did he cave to the wokeness of his day? So what exactly did Augustine get so wrong? His two greatest heresies are these. Number one, replacement theology. Augustine was the first to teach that Israel has been replaced by the church. That is more than wrong. He taught that the church is now heir to every promise gave to the patriarchs and to their posterity Israel. Nothing about the prophecies of Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. None of the prophecies from the minor prophets have been altered or made null effect for the sake of the church. The church has been grafted into the tree that is Israel. Therefore, we will suffer with Israel, we will mourn with Israel, and we will be redeemed and glorified 
with Israel. But heresy number two is the most damning of Augustine's false teachings. Augustine also taught he was the first to teach all millennialism. All millennialism is the denial that any earthly millennium of the universal righteousness and peace of Christ will either precede or follow his second coming. Ten percent of Bible prophecy. Now, if you recall, 27% of the Bible is Bible prophecy. But 10% of all Bible prophecy has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his millennial kingdom of righteousness and peace. How would you like your legacy to be that you were the first Christian to deny 10% of God's word? Not I. Slide five, please. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. This is St. John writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove from that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that is described in this book. You could argue that Augustine didn't add or remove anything from Scripture. But to my way of thinking, to deny Scripture is to remove Scripture. Will Augustine share a prison cell in hell with Charles Taze Russell? I don't know. I do not know. But such a thought keeps me diligent in my study of God's Word, and it keeps me circumspect in how I teach it. Amillennialism is nothing new. It, it certainly is not a, a New Age discovery. It started with Augustine in the second century. And again, most consider that Augustine's creation of this false doctrine was a result of his caving to the politics of the day. We cannot offend Rome nor her emperor. But this is another problem we Protestants have with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church canonized Augustine as a saint. But who told us more about the coming kingdom of heaven on earth than the Lord Jesus himself? All of the parables Christ taught in Matthew 25 are about his coming kingdom on this earth. The rapture wasn't first taught by Charles Darby or Tim LaHaye. It was taught by Jesus Christ himself. I preached to you before about the Galilean wedding. If you recall the Galilean wedding, uh, well, all of Christ's apostles were Galileans. Christ himself was a Galilean. And I believe the Galilean wedding is uh, basically a dress rehearsal for the rapture of the church. So when Christ taught his allegories about weddings, the disciples in 
instinctively knew what he was talking about. They knew he was talking about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. If you remember, in the Galilean wedding, first there was a betrothal, then a bride price, a dowry was paid, and then a contract written. Then the bride and groom would separate for one year. And the bride, while she made preparations for the wedding, the groom added on to his father's house. Do you see the analogy? Then in the middle of the night, when no one was expecting, the call went out through the entire area. The groom is on his way. Come to the wedding and stay for the feast. Tonight is what we've all been waiting for. The central truth of Scripture is twofold. Our salvation is our betrothal to Christ. But the consummation of that marriage is when the Lord Jesus returns to receive his bride. The marriage feast will follow and then we will live with him forever. The past two weeks I've spoken to you about the prophetic implications between Israel and Hamas. And indeed, it uh, appears that this conflict will widen into a regional war. And as I've stated before, this conflict could evolve into Gog and the Magog War, described in Ezekiel 38. But as I stated last week, Christ's prophetic time clock, the parable of the fig tree, is counting down. And we are at zero dark 30. The Gog-Magog war will happen. I personally believe um, there will come some kind of resolution. And in a very short time, within the next two years, I would think we will see the full-on Gog-Magog war. But Israel will bury its dead for, uh, the enemy dead for seven months. The Russian-Iranian Confederacy will be wiped out. And then a new, far more fearsome enemy will appear. Antichrist. This will happen, and it will happen soon. Slide six, please. But what's your focus this morning? Do you fear for your lost loved ones? Do you fear for friends and neighbors who do not know the Lord Jesus? Do not focus on the horrors ahead. Focus on the lost. Focus on what Jesus said. Luke 21. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Where's your focus? Are you caught up in the trappings of this world? Slide 7, please. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 11. 
For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. That's a promise. And that promise means you won't see the tribulation. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. God chose to save us, not to pour out his anger upon us. We will not go through the great tribulation. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus speaks about the rapture of the church, and it's a source of comfort. This captivated the early church. It was original doctrine, and they embraced this doctrine. And the message is simple. He's coming back. Be ready. There are three resounding truths in John 14, 1 through 3, and all are a source of comfort. Number one, I'm coming back for you. Number two, there's more than enough room for you in my Father's house. And that's a poor translation when it says uh, mansions. You won't get a mansion, but you'll get a very nice room. And if my condo is the condo St. Paul, I'll be happy with a 10 by 10 room. And it's like a glorious vacation. You're not going to spend much time in that room. Number three, you will always be with me. Can I hear an amen? And what did Jesus say to the church at Philadelphia? Slide eight. We want to be the church at Philadelphia. Revelation 3, 10 through 13. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. You do not belong to this world, therefore you will not be tested. What Jesus is saying here is quite simple. I'll protect you from the great tribulation. If you're a true believer, you won't have to go through the great tribulation. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you are deeply involved in what you see him doing here in this world. You are carrying out the commission he gave in Isaiah 61. And you're saying, no, wait a minute. I don't recall the great commission being in Isaiah 61. Yes, it is. Slide nine, please. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news of his salvation. To the poor. 
Actually, we're talking about the poor in spirit here. Who are the poor in spirit? The destitute. Those who have no hope. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The message says, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. For they, there they will find the Lord Jesus and the power of his kingdom. We all know someone like this, destitute, no hope. And those people are our mission. When you're at the end of your rope, your ears are wide open to the truth and wide open to hope. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. What captives? What prisoners? You were once one of them. You know who they are. Captives to sin. Prisoners of lust and every type of addiction. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the day of the Lord's favor has come. Indeed it has. It's been here for 2,000 years. And with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. We're about to see that. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. We mourn with Israel because we are Israel. And therefore we too will receive beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and festive praise for despair. That's a promise. Cling to it. Slide 10. Back to Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaking to the church of Philadelphia. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes away your crown. Hold on to what you have. The Greek word here translated as hold on is kretao. It means to obtain, to become the master of, to seize, to keep a firm grip, carefully and faithfully. There's a reason the New Testament was written in Greek. It is a powerful language. But this is not a suggestion. It's a command from the Lord Jesus. Hold on. Verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them a new name. That should make you jiggy. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And I will write on them the name of my God. In ancient times, a city would often honor a notable citizen by inscribing his name on one of the pillars of the local temple. Not only will you be honored as a pillar in God's temple, 
but the Lord Jesus will write the name of his Father on you. And he will also write on you your new name. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. I know it's mine. You remember that song? That's what we're talking about. Believers are often given a new name in the Scripture. Abram was renamed Abraham. Sarai was renamed Sarah. Jacob was renamed Israel. And Simon was renamed Peter. I don't know about you, But a new name given to me. <laughs> a new name given to me by he who knows me best. Looking forward. That warms my heart and blesses my soul. But what's your focus this morning? Are you focused on the coming troubles? Are you focused on the birth pains which have already begun? Are you worried about the coming carnage and horror? That's for me, I'm busy. Remember, you won't be here. So focus on the triumphal return of Jesus Christ. Slide 11, please. Jude, verse 14. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. Talking about people of the end times and their evil. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with myriad of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. Enoch saw the second coming and he was already dressed and ready to go. This is what the rapture is all about. We are to be ready. We are to be excited, expectantly waiting Christ's second coming. And don't forget, we're all coming back with him. Thessalonians says we will rise to meet the Lord God in the air. The Lord Jesus' second coming is in two parts. He comes, let's say halfway. We meet him in the air. At the rapture, he does not come to the earth. We come to him in the clouds. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first and we will follow. And what happens after that? It's called the Bema Seat, the Judgment Seat of Christ. Christians will be judged, but you'll also receive a crown. And then we come back with the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. We follow legion upon legion upon legion of angels. We follow God's angel armies. We settle up and ride with them. Hallelujah.
At Jesus' second coming, the trumpet will sound and we will follow behind the king of heaven and his angel armies and all the saints. Did you pay attention in Sunday school? Then you know that Enoch never died, right? Genesis 5, 23 and 24 Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day he disappeared because God took him. This is our charge this morning, to walk in close fellowship with God. The legend of Enoch goes like this. <clears throat> one morning Enoch was out walking with the Lord. They walked together for the better part of the day. And as the evening approached, the Lord God stopped and smiled at Enoch and looked him full in the eyes and said, My friend, we're closer to my house than to yours. Why don't you come home with me and stay? So I'll ask you again, what's your focus? Our focus must be absolutely on Jesus and our deep, deep fellowship with him. Let us pray. Hallelujah. Father, um, if we're not raptured, and we know that could happen any day, there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled that would prevent you from coming in the next five minutes. But Lord, uh, if you call us home before that, it will be so blessed. It'll be like you talking to Enoch. Why don't you come home with me and stay? We look forward to that, Father. We look so forward to that. Make it so, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For my benediction this morning, <clears throat> Tom, if you would key up the Lord's Prayer. I want us to stand together and recite the Lord's Prayer. And as you recite the Lord's Prayer, I want you to give some serious thought to the phrase, Thy kingdom come. Because that's what we've been talking about this morning. I want you to contemplate Jesus' second coming and the central truth of the gospel. The rapture is the fruition of your salvation. Are you looking forward to his coming? Are you looking forward to Eden restored? Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us from temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. Blessings.
As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God?